Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. All right, guys, welcome in. Thanks for joining. Appreciate it. As always, I am EJ Holland of the Wolverine.com with on three here to answer all your Michigan recruiting questions. Talk a little bit about the latest going on in the Michigan recruiting world. So, as always, feel free to jump in with your questions. You can interrupt me. At any time, it was a big few days for Michigan on the recruiting trail, landing a couple of commitments from four-star interior offensive lineman Amir Herring and four-star edge Collins Anchiampong. Uh, I guess we can talk a little bit about the commitments before you guys jump in with questions. Um, but like I said, you guys can jump in anytime. Just hit the request button. But yeah, let's go ahead and start off with Herring. So Herring's a kid that I've seen for years a terrific kid off the field. His parents did a phenomenal job of raising him. His nickname is the Humble Beast, which is cool because he is really humble off the field. Um, he's a super academic kid as well, wants to go into the medical field. And so he valued everything that Michigan had to offer off the field, on the field, He's one of the safest interior offensive line takes um, in, in the entire class nationally. He's a road grader. He's a guy that's extremely physical while run blocking. He's actually a plus as a pass pro guy. He plays a lot of tackle for West Bloomfield, but he projects more as a guard or center at the next level. He's actually been working a lot on his snapping this offseason in preparation for potentially playing center at Michigan. So that's something that 
him and Sharon Moore talked about on his official visit, uh, the potential for playing center. But either way, guard or center, he's a straight interior line type guy. Uh, I know there's been some question marks in regards to his height and length. Um, he's about six foot three, six foot three and a half. Um, his arm length's not great, but I'm not too concerned about that since he is projected to be more of an interior guy. I do think the upside is kind of capped. I think Amir's kind of maxed out for a high school player. But again, I mean, he's a super high floor guy. You know what you're getting in Amir Herring. Offensive line is one of the toughest position groups to project from a recruiting standpoint. It's extremely difficult to evaluate. So getting a high floor guy like Herring is great. Um, I think if you compare him with a high ceiling guy like Paul Mubango, who Michigan is trending in the right direction for out of Georgia. That's a great interior offensive line duo. I think the bigger concern with Michigan offensive line recruiting this cycle is tackle Michigan missing out on a lot of top targets at the tackle position. But a duo of Herring and Mubango would be great in the interior. And again, there's nothing wrong with a high floor guy. I have uh, Amir graded as a four-star prospect. I think you know what you're getting with Amir Herring, and what you're getting is a really, really good football player. You're also getting a really, really good kid and a really, really good student, so an ambassador for the program on and off the field. He kind of embodies what you really want in a Michigan type of kid. So uh, I'm a, a big fan of Amir Herring. It kind of continues that West Bloomfield pipeline, so now you have Donovan Edwards and Makari Page. Um, you obviously have Samaj Morgan and Amir Herring this cycle, and we'll see where things, uh, you know, kind of come through with the underclassmen. Um, but I always love covering the West Bloomfield kids. All of them have been great. As you guys know, Donovan is one of my favorite recruits of all time. Um, you know, Amir and Samaj are, are great leaders for Michigan's 2023 class. Really excited to see them in the fall with pads on. have seen them a ton this offseason. So uh, I think it's a really, really good land for Michigan. And then on the flip side of the coin, you have Collins and Pong, who is one of the more intriguing prospects in America this cycle. Six foot eight, 250 pounds. I mean, he is a massive human being. So the cool thing with Collins is I had a chance to go out to Los Angeles and see him really early in the offseason. I would say it was March for the Under Armour camp in Los Angeles. But, you know, I didn't actually fly there to see Collins. At the time, he didn't even have a Michigan offer. I was actually watching um, Kelsey Howard, who was at the time a guy that Michigan was really interested in. So I watched the, the defensive line group pretty closely, and I immediately noticed this six-foot-eight monster. And I was like, who is this kid? Um, and I saw him going through drills and stuff and I was like, man, this kid's actually pretty good. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, after the camp tried to do some digging on who he was and found out it was Collins Antium Punk. So I wrote in, in one of the stories, Hey, this is a kid Michigan should offer. He picked up a Michigan offer not too long after that. So that was pretty cool. He made an unofficial visit to Michigan, then an official visit to Michigan. Uh, the Wolverines want him over there, but there was obviously that late run from Miami, which threw things up in the air. Collins originally was supposed to commit July 1st, I believe, pushed it back to July 8th. 
And honestly, I mean, his heart was always with Michigan. I, I just think that that Miami NIL pitch, I guess is what we can call it, was tough to turn down. But at the end of the day, he really chose um, transformational as opposed to transactional, which is something Jim Harbaugh has obviously obviously been selling on the recruiting trail. And, you know, that that is going to be tough for a lot of high-profile recruits. Do you take that immediate NIL pitch or do you look at the long-term play for Collins? I think he looked at what Michigan could offer long-term. Um, and I, that was pretty cool to see him choose the transformational aspect. He loves Michigan's academics. He loves the way Michigan has developed edge rushers. He formed a friendship with Quiddy Pay, um, who was a first-round pick as a defensive lineman. So I think that helped as well. He loved the environment, the culture at Michigan. Collins is another kid just from my interviews with him that really fits that Michigan profile. On the field, he actually hasn't played football in a couple of years. His, his high school program shut down during the uh, pandemic. Recently transferred to Rancho Santa Margarita in the Trinity League, which if you follow high school football, you know the Trinity League is the best league in the entire United States of America. And so... I think we're going to learn a lot about what Collins can be this season when he plays against the modern days and St. John Bosco's of the world. Um, again, I, getting a chance to see him live, I think he has a ton of upside. The size is there. The length is there. The athleticism is there. He's a guy that originally came to the United States to play basketball. So I think, um, you know, I think Michigan's getting a, a steal in Collins. And I think, with a strong season, he's a guy that's really going to surge up the rankings. All right, let's go ahead and go to our request line. We've got a couple of guys that are asking. Let's go with Dave Litz. All right, Dave, you can speak at any point. Um, questions about uh, that tackle were run a bit low on targets, but one I haven't heard much about since his visit was uh, Spencer Fano out of Utah. And the other part of the question was, where do you think they turn at linebacker now that a bunch of targets just came off the board real quickly? Yeah, no, that's definitely a good question. Um, both great questions. Uh, Spencer Fano is a guy we haven't talked a ton about lately. He made an unofficial visit to Michigan. Jerome Moore went out to Utah to see him during the spring evaluation period. Um, this is a guy that, you know, Michigan is still really high on, but it's always tough to pull kids out of Utah. And for those listening, Spencer Fano is uh, on 300 offensive tackle out of Tempe View in Utah. I had a chance to see Fano play last year, uh, a little bit on the skinny side, but a really athletic offensive tackle, I, I think, could end up left or right. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, it's tough to pull kids out of Utah, I think. He'll probably stay closer to home. I think BYU and Utah are probably the favorites there. The longer it goes, the better for Michigan. The Wolverines might have a chance to host him for an official visit this fall, but haven't really heard too much there. I, I do think it's really, really likely he stays close to home. I think the more likely target at the tackle position is Caleb Lomu out of Arizona. Um, Arizona, Utah, and Cal are considered the favorites there. Um, but that's not really exactly scary competition. Michigan just offered, so it's a little late uh, in the game for a top 100-ranked prospect. 
But again, it's not like it's a murderer's row of competition. I do think that Michigan can make some movement, get them on campus for a, an official visit in the fall and, and potentially get them in the class. I mean, uh, you mentioned linebacker targets are running low. Tackle targets are running low for Michigan as well. So we'll see. Uh, I actually wrote a what's next piece over at the Wolverine, which if you're not a subscriber, you can subscribe now $1 for one year um, and kind of wrote uh, about some other tackle possibilities. Uh, the linebacker board is really interesting. Obviously, Michigan landed a commitment from Samaj Bridgman, um, lost a commitment from Raylan Wilson, who just picked Georgia today. Um, you know, Michigan's going to still shoot its shot with some highly touted prospects. They're really trying to get Jaden Osbury back on campus this fall. He made an official visit over the summer, uh, top 100 kid out of Baton Rouge. Um, Osbury visited last cycle along with his brother who ended up signing with Auburn. Uh, Notre Dame has a lot of the buzz coming out of official visit season, but it looks like Osbury is willing to take it closer to signing day and Michigan's always at its best closer to signing day. So we'll see if they can somehow, um, make even more noise with Osbury. Uh, again, there's been some cautious optimism with him throughout the off season. So we'll see where things go. From there, uh, they're still pushing for Arvell Reese out of Cleveland, uh, who made an unofficial visit this summer, but seems like more of a of an Ohio State lean. And then after that, you know, Michigan's kind of resetting the board. I mean, they like you said, they lost out on some key targets. They recently had uh, Jaden Robinson, who was supposed to come in for a fall official visit, commit to South Carolina. They recently saw Phil Picciotti come off the board and commit to Oklahoma. So I think that's a position where you could see new offers go out. Um, there aren't really a ton of other viable targets on the board right now. Um, you know, they could circle back to some guys that were on the board early in the cycle that kind of disappeared like a Javon Brown out of St. Thomas Aquinas out in Fort Lauderdale. But um, again, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. Let's go ahead and go over to parallel heart. All right, Parallel, what's up? Hello, Mr. Holland. How are you today? How's everybody? Go blue. Um, two quick questions about the um, barbecue. Um, I, I, I think the barbecue is going to be a really, really good day for Michigan or just a good, a good event. Can you see multiple commits pulling the trigger? I know you can't talk too much about it, but can you see multiple commits pulling the trigger? And could you speak a little bit more in depth about Jaden Davis and Javier and Tobi Tobiano, because I personally I think Tobiano is going to eventually commit to Michigan, but Jaden Davis because we did miss out on two um QBs and a lot of people clowning Michigan for that. But if you I know it's early, what percentage would you honestly give Jaden Davis of possibly not only committing to Michigan but committing early? Um, yeah, definitely. We'll kind of tackle each individual question in terms of the barbecue. So Michigan is hosting its annual barbecue at the big house later this month once the dead period comes to an end and that's always one of michigan's better recruiting events of the year so yes i definitely think it's a possibility that michigan can come away with some commits maybe some early commits in 2024 there's some key targets coming back for unofficial visits for that event 
um, in the 2023 class. So two I'm really keeping a close eye on are both along the defensive line, um, McKeel Gardner out of Arizona and Caden McDonald out of Georgia. Uh, Gardner made an official visit to Michigan this summer. I think the Wolverines knocked it out of the park. He also took OVs to Oregon and Texas uh, right after his Michigan visit. But I think Michigan kind of still holds that lead. Um, And from my conversation with Gardner after his OV, it seemed like he wanted to make a decision at some point this summer with him coming back for the barbecue at the big house. I think that's huge. I think he's a guy that could jump on board. And then Caden McDonald made an unofficial visit to Michigan this summer. So this will be his second unofficial visit of the offseason. And then he's scheduled to come back again for a fall official visit when Michigan hosts Hawaii. Um, I think that he's a kid that could easily end up at Michigan as well. Uh, The Wolverines have made him a top overall target. I know Jesse Minter and Mike Elston have been working extremely hard on that recruitment. So, you know, I would definitely keep a close eye on McDonald and Gardner as far as 2023 prospects go. Um, Going ahead to Jaden Davis, who is expected to come in for the barbecue as well. Uh, personally think he's the best quarterback in the country in 2024. At one time, he was the number one uh, quarterback in the country on the consensus. I believe now it's uh, Rayola who's committed to Ohio State, but still an extremely talented prospect, an elite-level prospect. Had a chance to see him throw out in Las Vegas, really live arm, ball pops out of his hand, uh, has a lot of uh, traits you want in your signal caller and can be that leader that Michigan hasn't had at the quarterback position on the recruiting trail since J.J. McCarthy. Um, Yeah, Michigan really wants to get him on board early. Whether that happens or not is up in the air. I think the barbecue will probably tell us a lot about um, where Michigan really, really stands with Jaden Davis. And if they can accomplish that task, I do think that Michigan leads going into the barbecue. my big fear with all skill position guys, but especially quarterbacks is just NIL. Obviously a lot of the big time guys, this cycle are getting some massive deals. Michigan's not playing NIL. So I'm interested to see if that'll have an effect on Jaden Davis. I don't know him all that well, uh, but just talking to him for the first time out in Las Vegas, he really has a business approach to everything. And I don't mean that, uh, by monetary gains. I mean that more as he's looking as at the bigger picture. Um, I think he's, he really, really likes the NFL resume of Jim Harbaugh, a guy that's played and coached in the NFL and played the quarterback position, obviously. Look at Matt Weiss, and he's not a guy that is known for connecting super well with recruits from a personal standpoint, but he's great at X's and O's. And Jaden said on his visit he was really impressed with Weiss's football acumen. Um, there's going to be an opportunity for him to go in and compete right away uh, for a starting job if he picks Michigan with with the gap between him and J.J. and, and 2022 having more project-type quarterbacks and 2023 being a little bit of a mess. Um, so I think everything's there for Michigan to really make a power move with Jaden. He's expressed wanting to make official visits. Um, so the longer the recruitment goes, um, I think, probably the worst for Michigan. I I would personally like, if I were Michigan, I would want to get Jaden Davis locked in as soon as possible and keep that momentum. So we'll see if the Wolverines can get it done 
on the barbecue. Um, and then JV and Toviano, I think, is one of the more interesting recruits in the 2023 cycle. Uh, top 100 cornerback slash safety slash do it all DB. I think he's the best DB in the country in 2023. Um, like he's out of uh, out of Dallas, so Texas and Texas A and M are very very much in the mix for him. Kind of the same thing. Any top 100 recruit, you know that they're going to have some very strong NIL pitches, especially recruits in the South. Um, I do think that Toviano loved his Michigan visit. He's been very pro-Michigan on social media. I do think he's a kid that's willing to leave the Lone Star State. Um, but I, I, I have cautious optimism. I do think Michigan is a real contender. I would buy that. Um, but I still am not going to get super confident as long as Texas and Texas A&M are pushing uh, we'll see how things progress there, kind of the rest of the cycle. And I uh, am going to have an update on Tobiano at some point here on the near in the near future over at the Wolverine. Let's go ahead and go to Nick Guerrero. Uh, all right, Nick, you are in the room. Hey, Nick, how's it going? How are you? Yeah. So I have a. I have a really uninformed NIL question. Um, so if if you assume the rumors about what Dante is getting are true, and then you assume the rumors about Will Johnson's NIL deals are also true, putting the total dollar value aside just for the sake of the question, what is the is the only difference the timing of when these guys are able to sign those contracts. So Dante can sign before he sets foot in Eugene. Will can sign, will sign after he arrived in Ann Arbor. Um, no, uh, Dante cannot sign anything right now. Uh, in the state of Michigan, it's actually against state law to sign anything. I think that's a little different for Rashada. Um, out in California, who obviously has become the big topic of discussion with his deal and uh, with Miami. Uh, the state of California, I know, allows NIL deals for high school students. So it would be the same thing, you know, in regards to Nico, the other top quarterback out in California, who is the uh, alleged recruit that signed the million dollar deal or eight million dollar deal with Tennessee so state law in Michigan does not allow you to sign NIL deal so any NIL pitch or you know agreement or whatever the case is is all non-binding with Dante Moore so that's not the case I mean with Will I mean look Will was always going to Michigan he was a legacy he wanted to be at Michigan he obviously flirted with some other schools there was you know, Michigan was coming off uh, a tumultuous season. There was some staff movement, and that caused him to take a look at others and took a, take a look at others even during his commitment after Mo Linguis abruptly bolted. But at the end of the day, you know, Will was going to be at Michigan. So I think he already knew what the NIL deals could be. Michigan made that pitch to him, and he had NIL deals ready to roll as soon as he signed. But Will was always going to have NIL deals ready to roll. I mean, he was a five-star uh, prospect. He was the face of the class. So, um, no, to answer your question overall, though, 
you know, there's nothing different necessarily with Will in Michigan or Dante and Oregon other than maybe how much was promised to, to either prospect. Um, so you can obviously speculate how much that is with Dante. You can speculate how much, you know, that was with Will. Will's NIL deals are pretty much public, uh, but you won't really know Dante's NIL deals until he steps foot in Eugene. So these guys really can't advertise much. And again, with, with Dante, it's verbal anyway, because he can't sign anything. It's, it's against Michigan state law. And that would actually make him ineligible for his senior year. So I don't think Dante has signed anything at all with Oregon. It's more so, Hey, here's our NIL pitch. And that's what, you know, Dante kind of uh, looked into, but I think even more than that, we can sit here and talk for hours about Dante Moore's recruitment. It was more than just Oregon's NIL pitch. There's a lot that Dante liked about Oregon as a program, and he saw that as the best fit for him. And I think we should all, you know, respect Dante's decision. Uh, Knowing Dante for several years, I can tell you that, you know, he is a great kid. He's a great leader for his team. He's a winner on the football field, and I think everybody should wish him well. Um, So thanks, Nick, for hopping on to the space. If anybody else has any more questions, please feel free to hop in. I know it's a Sunday, so we have less people in the space than usual. Uh, We talked about the new commits at the top of the show. Actually, we have a a new requester here. It's uh, Jack Vandermolen. All right, Jack uh, appears to be connecting. Hey, Jay, can you hear me? All right, Jack, you're in. Yep, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, quick question. I've kind of always wondered this about recruiting in general, and I've followed 247 and On3 and, and Rivals for a few years, but I've always been curious how you guys, as reporters, figure out, uh, where guys sit on Michigan's boards, like where, you know, what's like top of the board, what's bottom of the board, who are takes, who aren't takes. So I don't know how much you can share about that, but I'd love to, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, no, thanks for asking Jack. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Obviously we have sources and we can't really, you know, talk about who those sources are. Um, but I think you guys can make kind of educated guesses. I think, when it comes to recruiting reporters and staffs, it's kind of mutually beneficial for the staff. They kind of get an idea of what kids are thinking away from what they're talking about with coaches, right? So for me, you know, I can provide more of a neutral perspective like, hey, so and so kid, you know, told me this. He might be telling the staff you know, what they want to hear. He might be telling me different information. He might be telling me, telling a colleague of mine different information. So it's all about kind of, you know, sharing information for the, for us, you know, it's a benefit to obviously know what's going on with the recruiting board so we can have an idea of who to talk to and not talk to, you know, we don't want to be hyping up a kid or writing about a kid that Michigan's not really recruiting and that also allows us to give you guys more accurate information and then from a kid standpoint obviously it allows us to 
um, tell the kids' story, to give them more publicity, to help with their recruitment. And now with the kind of turn of the uh, of the NIL deals, I think it allows us to get the kids more familiar with the fan bases that they're going to be a part of so it can kind of boost their value and, and kind of introduce uh, kids to the fan base uh, so they can get familiar with their personalities and what they're about and things like that. So it's all kind of a mutual exchange of information on everybody's part. Um, but that's kind of how we find out. It's just more so building those connections within the program and then us being able to relay the information that we can relay. Obviously some information is more sensitive than other information. And so as reporters, we kind of have to figure out what we can and can't share. So hopefully that made sense, Jack. Let's go ahead and go over to young OG. All right, young OG, you're on the line. Hey, um, I just have two questions. Uh, who is Michigan looking at, at uh, on their board for defensive tackle or any kids that's uh, interested? And uh, is there anything Michigan can change in their recruiting to keep up with, like, the other top schools? Yeah, definitely. No, I appreciate you hopping on. Uh, by the way, shout out to Collins and Chimpong, who is in the space. Collins, I'm actually going to hit you up right after this. Um, and I'm sure Collins could tell you who he's recruiting along the defensive line. But um, I think guys that guys to watch along the defensive lines so looking at edge guys, um, I think obviously Enoetta and Kumba Merrick are guys that are, are real possibilities to join Collins over at Michigan. Um, Eno is more of a, a bigger Aiden Hutchinson type of build. So he's already you know, about six foot five, 255 pounds. So he's not a guy you want to add too, too much weight to, um, you know, he's a guy that could play with his hand in the dirt if you need him to. But right now, Michigan really likes him as an edge. And then Kumbay Merrick's a, a guy that has a seven foot two wingspan. He plays overseas in Europe. Uh, he's from France. So he's more of an upside guy. I think Michigan is in a great spot with both of those prospects. And then in terms of, of actual defensive line, three-tech nose types. I mentioned uh, McKeel Gardner and Caden McDonald coming in for the barbecue at the Big House later this month. I think that those are two guys Michigan could potentially close with. Caden is a mammoth 300-pounder. I flew down to Georgia. Collins likes Caden, apparently. Um, but I flew down to Georgia to see Caden, uh, and he checks all the boxes for what you want in the nose. I thought he was really impressive. Mike Elson was actually out there evaluating him the same day that I was, and uh, I could tell that that Elson was impressed with him as well. Um, and then Mikhail Gardner, I think, is a guy that kind of fits what you want in the three-tech. He's a bigger, athletic type of guy that would complement Brooks Barr really well who's already committed so I could see that I, I think that's a very realistic edge slash defensive line class uh with Collins Kumba Eno as the edge guys uh Brooks Gardner and Caden as the D-line guys and then you shoot your shot um with Xavier McLeod who's another big 300 pounder that can play uh the nose or the three 
And obviously there's, you know, freak athlete Nicholas Harbour, who's still listed as an edge, but could end up on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and then in terms of what to make Michigan recruiting better, um, I think Michigan is, is slowly kind of figuring out the best way to approach NIL. So obviously that's one box and not one and not a topic that we need to get too in depth with. And then I think just more structure of the recruiting department. I think the guys they have in there now are doing a good job. I think, um, you know, Collins will tell you that Connor Stallions did a great job in his recruitment. I think uh, Albert Karshnia is very, very organized and meticulous. I think that Christina DeRuiter does a really good job with on-campus recruiting. So uh, I think the people they have there now do a good job, but I'd like to see an even bigger and more structured recruiting department having covered the University of Texas before moving over to the University of Michigan. Uh, Tom Herman kind of had that Ohio State model that Urban Meyer ran. And so I'm used to a bigger uh, recruiting department. And I think with the resources that Michigan has, I think you sh- could see an even bigger recruiting department, which would obviously help the, the staff, which has a lot of responsibilities on the field and on the recruiting trail. Um, let's go ahead and go to the next request line. Collins, you're willing to jump in. If you're willing to jump in, I'll bring you on as a speaker. If you just want to listen, that's cool too. Um, but let's go ahead and go to Owen Pastel. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello. All right, Owen. What's up? Oh, what's up? First of all, shout out Collins. Um, And then I was wondering, um, how fast uh, does one cycle impact the next, right? Like, are we going to see a lot of 2024 offensive tackle offers go out? I know we, like, in the past few weeks, we sort of missed on a bunch of guys, and the 2023 board is probably pretty dry, but, like, how quick are we going to start looking at everybody in 2024? Uh, That's a good question. Yeah, I think Michigan does a really good job of getting offers out fairly early, so they've already offered quite a few highly touted prospects at positions like offensive tackle, like linebacker, you know, those are our two positions. They're not exactly hitting home runs with this cycle. Um, but yeah, I think with 2024 tackle recruiting specifically, um, actually last week you saw Sharon Moore extend a couple of offers at the position. So I think it does impact that. I think even when Michigan was in the mix with Dante Moore, 
when they started trending in a not so great direction or, or felt like they had an uphill battle. They extended a lot of 2024 quarterback offers as well. So yeah, I think the uh, I think the 2023 cycle definitely impacts the strategy for the 2024 cycle. Um, on top of that, it's it's also a numbers game. It kind of determines what you're going to do the next cycle um, in, in terms of how many you're going to take at each position group. So yeah, I think at the the needy positions like quarterback, tackle, linebacker, it's already having an effect. Let's go ahead and go to Rodney Wire. All right, sorry guys, Rodney is connecting. Not exactly sure what's going on with Rodney. Um, looks like he just was able to get on. Hey, Rodney, how's it going? Hey, good. Sorry, everything cut out for a second. Um, I just I was on the call last week, and so I just wanted to. I don't know if you already talked about it, but I don't know what you did to all the Notre Dame folks, but they were on fire, and you know, I, you handled it really well. You know, just some tough questions, and people, you know, are not really coming after you, but with some targeted questions, you know, the whole Michigan Notre Dame rivalry came out and yeah, I just, I I'm not sure what you did, but you know, obviously they're going to hold the CJ car card over us for a while. So, you know, the whole NIL deal and everything that's, that's coming, you know, you know, Notre Dame is going to be holding this over us and feeling like they're doing better with recruiting, but you know, if you could just speak to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, Notre Dame has a great class right now. Uh, obviously, I'm not a huge Notre Dame fan, uh, but I mean, there's no debating that they're having a lot of success on the recruiting trail right now. I think Marcus Freeman is a great recruiter as a head coach. Whether he's actually going to be a great football coach kind of remains to be seen, but there's no doubt they're getting uh, guys on the trail. I think that from an NIL perspective, I wouldn't say that Notre Dame is doing exactly what an Oregon or a Miami or whoever you want to use, Tennessee, Texas A&M, et cetera, is doing. Um, but I do think they're at least trying to navigate kind of what the gray areas are. Uh, I don't really think Michigan is doing that so much. They, they have, you know, been able to sell transformational so far and, and kind of selling the long game. I know they put together a really good pitch um, in, in terms of, you know, future monetary gains for a guy like Collins. Um, but I know that that Notre Dame's trying to, to do a little bit of a different thing. Um, and, and obviously what they're doing as a whole is working and that's not a, not the only reason. Uh, I do think Michigan would be recruiting at the level or even better than Notre Dame had it not had a chaotic offseason. Um, but I think there's still a lot of room for Michigan to finish strong on the recruiting trail. Uh, obviously, if Michigan has another big season, then I think you're going to see more commitments, uh, just like you saw last cycle. And now that you have a guy like Collins on board that can help recruit, and if you're able to get Enoetta, if he makes his decision at some point, I think those are two big personality guys that will really help Michigan on the recruiting trail. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no doubting what Notre Dame's doing right now. I think it's just been a, a tough off season for Michigan, but they'll write the ship like they normally do. 
in terms of CJ Carr, look, this isn't, you know, no offense to CJ Carr. I think CJ Carr is a very good prospect. I think he's a very high floor quarterback, but I, I don't think there's any reason to panic. I mean, if CJ's last name was CJ Brown, you know, or CJ Holland, there would be no real panic about it. I think it's more perception than reality. I think the bigger miss is Dante. I think Dante is a talented prospect. I think he's an elite, legitimate five-star level type of guy. I've always liked Dante as, as the superior prospect at the quarterback position, um, offering him as a seventh grader and making him the only target on the board and then missing out on him is extremely tough, you know, but looking at 2024, I think if you get Jaden Davis, I mean, that's a net win anyway. Um, I think Jaden Davis is, is a higher ranked prospect than CJ Carr. I think you could make the argument that Michael Van Buren could be a higher ranked prospect than CJ Carr. And he's another option in 2024. So I'm not as concerned about the CJ Carr loss, if that's how you want to frame it. I mean, CJ made his decision and picked Notre Dame. Michigan made its decision at the same time and prioritized Dante. It didn't work out at the end, um, but we'll see how things kind of shake out with quarterback recruiting moving forward. But again, if they get Jaden Davis in 2024, and you know, there's obviously been a little bit of talk about him potentially reclassifying, um, you know, there's no confirmation on that. But whether you get Jaden Davis in 23 or 24, I think you're getting uh, the better prospect out of him and CJ Carr. So I don't, I don't think that really makes too much of a, of a difference. Um, let's go ahead and go over to Nick Rinky. All right, Nick, you can talk at any point. You're currently muted. Yep. <clears throat> Do you think there's any chance that Michigan keeps, you know, monitoring Dante's situation? Obviously, between the rumor mill as far as Dante getting X amount of dollars or a family being paid to fly out to Oregon for games, do you think it's something that maybe they monitor if, you know, Kenny William Willingham has a good season and gets a head coaching job somewhere else? Would that cause a, a chance Michigan can come back in the picture? Or is it that door has been closed and now they're just focused on Jaden Davis? Yeah, no, I think that Michigan's going to keep in contact with Dante. I'm not sure how much Dante will necessarily be open to that. Um, until there's any type of significant movement with Dante in Michigan, you know, I don't feel like it's too imperative to really continue to, to beat a dead horse. I do think that Dante is happy with his decision to pick Oregon. That's why he made his commitment public right now. I do think if Oregon has a terrible season if they get left out of the conference realignment race if Michigan has another strong year on the field if like you mentioned there's movement on that staff with Dillingham or something of that nature then I think yeah the door will be open and Michigan will continue will continue to do its due diligence and just keep in contact with Dante as of right now I wouldn't be too hopeful I think they're still trying to figure out a plan for 2023 you know if they're going to go after another high upside quarterback if they're going to make a move for an in-state guy like Brady Drogosh who I think is is an interesting prospect who had some really good testing numbers at the Elite 11 Regional in Cleveland and impressed me when I saw him last year uh, lead De La Salle to a win over Gross Point South uh, in the in the state playoffs so he's someone to to maybe monitor they could pass on 2023 as a whole and just 
make Jaden Davis the absolute priority regardless of class. So still a lot of moving pieces with quarterback recruiting. But as I mentioned, I think, yeah, there there could be an opportunity with Dante late, but the right pieces would have to fall in place. Right now, I have no reason to believe anything will happen with Dante, though. Um, let's go ahead and go over to Connor Longin. All right, Connor, you're on. You're just on mute. Hello. Hello. Nice to, nice to, this is a first time uh, question for me. So I was just uh, curious. I know when uh, um, they got the commit of Samaj Bridgman, that was really the first time that Michigan had kind of delved into, you know, the Philadelphia area. I'm biased because I'm a lifelong Michigan fan from the Philly area. Um, I actually played high school football against Grant Newsom when he was at Lawrenceville. Um, are there any other areas around the country um, that they're trying to start to get into to recruit? I, I know that I, I've always been interested. It took so long for, for Michigan to uh, try and get a, a hold in the, the Pennsylvania area, at least around Philadelphia. I know they did a better job in Jersey and whatnot, but just to – a question about the ge uh, geographical recruiting process. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm always fascinated by by that as well. I think it's a really interesting topic. You know, obviously, I came over from the Texas beat, and when you cover the Texas Longhorns, it's basically almost all in-state kids with some spot recruiting in states like Louisiana, Florida, California, Arizona, and that's pretty much it. Um you know, I think with Michigan, it's a true national beat. So the recruiting strategy in terms of geography is extremely imperative. Obviously, you want to have your focus on the Midwest. You want to have your focus on regions that have been friendly to you in the past. You want to recruit the powerhouse states like California, Texas, and Florida. Um, but there are kind of hidden gem areas where you can kind of attack and pull talent out of. I've actually have been surprised that Michigan not only hasn't had a ton of success in Philly, but in Pennsylvania as a whole, since I jumped on the beat, um, I guess three and a half years ago now or so, you know, Michigan hadn't landed a prospect out of Pennsylvania, Bridgman being the first one. So I think with Grant Newsom being elevated to a uh, full-time staffer, Michigan is going to attack Pennsylvania and the Northeast as a whole, a lot more. I know they recruited it heavy when Partridge was on staff. Obviously, he left. Don Brown recruited New England heavy when he was on staff. Obviously, he's gone. And I think you've seen kind of just a relaxed mentality in terms of recruiting the Northeast with both of those departures. I think with Grant now on staff, he's really getting Michigan back into the Northeast and really into Pennsylvania as well a state that they hadn't had much recent success with. Um, so I think the plan of attack with Grant is to make a lot of earlier offers out there, which he did during the spring evaluation period. I think you're seeing more of a turn of focus into the DMV. Um, Michigan extending a lot of offers out there. They have, you know, arguably the biggest remaining target of the cycle in the DMV in Nicholas Harbor. A lot of Michigan type of kids there. Penn State has a lot of success recruiting out of the DMV, I think Michigan can have just as much success. The, the more they recruit there, the more relationships they build. I think it's great that they've assigned 
Ron Bellamy to recruit in DC and Maryland. Um, he's one of the better, more magnetic recruiters on staff. So I think Bellamy can establish relationships there quickly. I'd like to see the, uh, the state of Virginia get a lot of love as well. Mike Hart's the area recruiter there. I'd like to see him pick it up from an area recruiting standpoint. And I think Jay Harbaugh is doing a really good job of finding obscure states. Um, Jay Harbaugh is uh, one of the most underrated recruiters on staff. Obviously, he pulled Colston Loveland out of Idaho last cycle. He's gotten Michigan back into Idaho along with Bellamy this cycle with Kenyon Sadiq. Um, they've already extended another offer out in Idaho for the 2024 recruiting class. So uh, that's a, a kind of a weird state they're trying to make uh, inroads with to land kind of the best out of there every cycle. Uh, and I think, you know, Clink has done a really good job of getting Michigan kind of back into Ohio with some more early offers there. I know Michigan hasn't really landed many Ohio guys here recently with the exception of Rod Moore, um, but I know Clink is investing a lot of resources into getting Michigan back into the state of Ohio. Um, Michigan has always had success in Chicagoland. Obviously, I think it's increasing even more uh, as the cycles go on, more and more prospects here. And I like that Michigan, you know, we're kind of coming back to the Midwest with Ohio and Chicagoland and now St. Louis. I think that, you know, that's a city that Michigan hadn't landed anybody from uh, during my time on the Michigan beat. Obviously, they were able to get Fred Moore recently. And I think Jay Harbaugh, again, is another big reason Michigan is kind of getting back into St. Louis. And uh, and I think they'll have more success there moving forward. But, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, there are some other parts that are that'll be more tough pools. Obviously, Bellamy has the connections to Louisiana being a, a Louisiana native. George Hilo has the connections to North Florida being a Jacksonville native. Albert Karshnia is from Michigan, but he has a really, really strong connection to guys out in the Pacific Northwest. Those are all a little tougher pools, but I think those are, are connections that can help. But I think every staff's different. It just kind of depends on where they've recruited in the past, where they're from, things of that nature. But Michigan will always recruit nationally, you know, no matter what. It's just kind of nature of the beast there. Um, let's go ahead and go over to um, Todd Troy. He's been waiting for a while. All right, Todd, you're on. You're just muted. All right, thanks, EJ. Can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Hey, great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Collins, if you're out there, congratulations. Nice long uh, commitment there for uh, the rest of your life there. Um, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great commitment for you to make, certainly, um, instead of taking a short-term commitment, a long-term commitment like that to Michigan. Appreciate that. Um, a question for you as far as... Um, the NIL goes uh, with with you hearing about these deals with uh, some guys coming out of high school there. Um, do you think that the the transfer portal is going to pick up at some of those schools um, that some of these guys are coming into with these big NIL deals? And uh, does that possibly help Michigan as far as uh, maybe going out into the transfer portal to pick up some guys? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I do think NIL deals will, are, are going to disrupt a lot of team chemistry. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see 
how schools kind of balance that. I think that's why Michigan's, I guess, long-term play is better than maybe some of the other schools' short-term play because it takes care of guys on the team. You know, Michigan wants to eventually have, you know, quote-unquote base salaries for guys to where everybody's at least making something. So, you know, the cohesion in the locker room stays the same. I mean, Jim Harbaugh has always been known as a family guy, and he really proves that. Um, so I think he's making it a point to take care of guys on the team. Um, you know, in terms of Michigan looking in the transfer portal for guys that are unhappy because of NIL deals or lack of NIL deals, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think the transfer portal might overfill at some point. But the thing about Michigan in the transfer portal is you have to find guys that can get past admissions. Um, and that's always been a hurdle at Michigan. So I think, yeah, it'll be open to finding the right type of guys. And you can find quality type of guys. I mean, obviously, they were able to get Olu out of the transfer portal. And he was, uh, you know, one of the nation's top centers a year ago. But he had the academic qualifications. So I think with Michigan and the transfer portal, it's always going to be a little tricky, regardless of how many guys are in there that they want, just because they have to be able to clear admissions. All right, let's go over to our final requester of the night let's go with michael koloski hey ej can you hear me hey michael how's it going? hey how's it going i i have uh listened to your guys's space here for i don't know a couple weeks now that you guys have been doing them but i know uh todd just spoke about like the nil stuff and i actually work at the university of notre dame i'm i'm not a troll though i'm not here to troll or <laughs> uh, I know you've spoken about that a couple times on, on the space and um, but I've, I've been intrigued with what you guys have been talking about and then you know Todd's asking the question about NIL I, I think that like because I've been a Michigan fan for well, since a kid since I was a kid and my fear is just like they are falling a little behind in the NIL stuff and they should be having more success in like recruiting right now and I know it's starting to pick up but I think people are becoming impatient in that in that aspect. What I guess what is your what is your answer to people that are just kind of being impatient about it and um, who fear that they might be get left behind with you know recruiting because Jim Harbaugh said he's just not going to pay players to come to Michigan. What does Michigan do to kind of like get back to like you know in these conversations because they're in it with what's his name Harbaugh or the five star athlete and I don't know if he's kid that even comes to Michigan if you don't just pay him I it's there's so many things that are changing now and it's insane and being at Notre Dame I see them getting all these kids and I'm like in back of my mind I'm like geez I wish Michigan could have the success right now and it's hard to argue that what Marcus Freeman is doing at Notre Dame like regardless of how anyone feels he's getting some really good talent there and I wish Michigan should have could have the success that he's had I mean they just won a Big Ten championship so I guess how do you feel about that like are we going to see that change? Michigan's going to get better than NIL stuff. How do you feel about that? Yeah, man. First of all, um, I feel sorry that you're working at Notre Dame and are a Michigan fan. That must suck. And South Bend sucks as a whole. But um, I think in terms of NIL, look, I can't really, you know, say, hey, things are, are rapidly working to change. Look, Michigan kind of has a set plan for the long term. Um, the schools that are splurging out money like 
Miami or like Texas A&M or Tennessee. We don't need to keep naming them, right? The schools that are obviously splurging out big amount, big amount of cash, right? Those schools, I mean, that's not a really big long-term play. You're going to mess up chemistry in the locker room, one. Two, I mean, how, there's no return on investment, right, when you're paying players an obscene amount of numbers or an obscene amount of money. So I think eventually – you know, they're going to have to change strategies. And, and if there is any type of enforcement, those are going to be the schools that go down first. Michigan's trying to do it the right way, the way NIL should be. And whether you agree with that or not, it might affect things in the short term. But in the long term, I think Michigan can win out. If you truly are able to get to a point where every scholarship athlete on Michigan's football roster has, again, you know, air quotes, base salary, where, you know, the skill guys make X amount of money, the linemen make X amount of money, et cetera. Then you can turn around and you can use that as a pitch on the recruiting trail. Like, hey, I'm just going to throw out a number. If you're a wide receiver at the University of Michigan, you're guaranteed to make $100,000 no matter what, right? And then on top of that, if you do really well, the earnings you can make here are limitless because – Michigan has a lot of money from its boosters or a lot of NIL deals that we've created. Valiant Management Group does a great job of finding NIL deals for, for players on the Michigan roster. Michigan's a global brand. So there's a lot that Michigan can offer that other schools cannot just from a pure university standpoint, program standpoint, on top of the great education and the development aspect and everything like that. So, EJ, let me ask you this question, though. Real, you want to know real quick? With with this kid that the Rashada kid that went to Miami, I I just find it hard to believe uh, uh, someone on the staff is like here here's ten million dollars you're coming to come here to play. I find that very hard to believe that's actually the case because I mean where's that money coming from? Like I mean <laughs> like there's no that, that can't be possible for I mean U of M's not going to do that I don't think I mean. The, I just I just find it hard to believe that's even possible for that to happen to, you know, six seven million dollars. How does Michigan compete with that? Like I know you said long term, but I mean with college football, it's, everything's right now. Like what are you doing now in terms of you know success? I think so. I yeah. Yeah. No, I get it, and I think that you know it's not going to take long for something to change with NIL and how it's being handled. And, you know, I can't speak about Rashada specifically. I don't, obviously, you know, the numbers are out there and the rumors are out there. I know Miami has a big backing from Ruiz, who's, you know, a well-known booster that has quite a bit of money. I don't think that Rashada gets $9 million immediately. If it is even $9 million, I think that might be over the course of time, if it even is that high of a number. Um, but Regardless, I, I think Michigan's not too far off from creating a certain amount of base salaries. And again, you can obviously sell the long term. And Michigan also has a great player development program in which they do a great job of educating guys on NIL and uh, investing and finances. And that might not you know, sound great to a lot of people listening to the space. Like, oh, who cares? Michigan has NIL education. But I know... They did a great job with that presentation in, in terms of Collins, who's listening to this space. And Collins obviously had an offer from Miami, and I'm sure he'd be willing to tell you why he chose transformational over transactional. And I think that, um, you know, with Michigan's long-term play, 
it, it's the smarter play. Like whether you like it right now or not, Michigan's trying to do things the right way. And I think long-term it helps. I know you're frustrated. I know, well, look at what Notre Dame's doing or look at what Miami's doing or whatever the case is. But if you're able to keep that team chemistry, if you're able to get base salaries for your players, if you're able to in turn then use that as a pitch to potential recruits, then I think Michigan can still find Michigan-type kids, which is important for what Michigan wants to do. Um, you know, it, I don't think Michigan would have made it to the college football playoff had it not had that chemistry in the locker room. So they want to keep it. They want to find the right type of kids. They want to do NIL the right way. You can agree, disagree with it. You can be frustrated right now. But I think, you know, in the long term, Michigan is kind of going to be that school that you're going to look back on and be like, well, Michigan did it the right way. And now that's how most schools are approaching it. Uh, again, I think Valiant Management Group does a great job of finding deals for guys and, and is playing a big role in what the future of NIL and recruiting will be at Michigan. And yeah, I get it. Again, it's not what you want to hear in the short term, but in the long term, I think Michigan will be more well off. And, and it's Michigan. Michigan's still always going to find the right type of kids and they're going to land highly touted prospects no matter what. And it might not be you know, a Jaden Rashada, but if they're able to get a guy like Nicholas Harbor, whose father works at NASA, his mother works in a hospital, he's a 4.0 kid, he's a legitimate potential Olympian, he's a guy that might, he's a guy that's, that knows he's going to get paid, right? Eventually, he'll be one of the most marketable athletes in, in all of college football. Um, so he knows he's going to get, he's going to make his money wherever he goes, whether it's up front or whether it's, you know, when he steps foot on campus, I think Harbor comes from a great background. I think he values a lot of things that Michigan can offer. So I think if you find the Nicholas Harbor type kids, I think those, there are still plenty out there that Michigan can get like that, like him or, or like a Jacoby Johnson or like a JV and Tobiano kids that are really listening to Michigan's transformational pitch that are ranked in the top 100 and then guys that are on 300 prospects like you know like a Collins or like an Eno you know guys that'll be vocal leaders that had NIL presentations you know Collins again with Miami Eno with Michigan State you know if you're able to land Eno you have Collins already those are vocal leaders that can vouch for what Michigan is doing on the NIL front so that's kind of just an overview of that, we've gone for exactly one hour, guys. I appreciate y'all for joining me uh, on this Sunday. Um, thanks for everybody for listening. If you're not a subscriber to thewolverine.com, you can subscribe now. One dollar for one year gets you premium access to our, our latest recruiting information, team information, and our great message board community over on the Fort Message Board. Appreciate it, guys. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit 
FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York.